coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. We're seeing a lot of movement. Now, where does that fit prophetically? Well, there are specific verses that say in the last days after Israel is reborn and there's all this tension, then the Arabs are going to make peace with Israel. What does the Bible say about the future of the Arab people? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. And today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem to answer that very question. Joel, glad to have you on. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you as well, Carl. Uh, glad to glad to be up and running for another episode here. Yes, indeed. Well, as we record this, we've just come back from a very exciting delegation to countries that are in the Arabian Peninsula and Israel. We've come from Bahrain, UAE, and Israel, part of a delegation of evangelical leaders and uh, media leaders to support the Abraham Accords. And Joel, I just found that to be one of the most fascinating trips that I've ever been on, literally looking at uh, whole cultures and the relationship between them becoming brand new in their appreciation for one another. So I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. Well, I am as well, and I appreciate I'm so glad that you were able to come and, and we had, uh, it, was a, it was a fascinating group. And I, I look forward to when we do some specific podcasts, including Lord willing with uh, some of the video and interviews that we captured along the way. Be captured is not the right word for the Middle East, but you know, uh, that we recorded <laughs> anyway. For me, this is my seventh delegation of evangelical leaders that I have led. But the first six, as interesting as they were, uh, were all before the Abraham Accords were even thought of, much less signed, sealed, and delivered, much less being implemented. And of course, I tell the story of those six delegations in the more recent uh, nonfiction book, Enemies and Allies. And in that case, we specifically talk about the time I was in the United Arab Emirates and the leader of the UAE, uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, known as MBZ. He told me and our delegation directly, Joel, I am going to be the next one in the Arab world to make peace with Israel. We were shocked and we were like, really? Why? How did you yeah. get to that point? And how do you move forward? And how, how is this going to work? And it was a fascinating conversation. So now to be with his younger brother, Sheikh Abdullah bin Zayed, uh, the foreign minister who helped negotiate the Abraham Accords and was on the White House lawn signing uh, those accords and to spend 90 minutes with him was absolutely fascinating. And it, it'll be a great future yeah. podcast but also, of course, spending time with former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, now in the opposition. But another architect of the Accords, another of the three signers of the court. So we met with two of the architects and signers and then many other people that were implementing it up to and including this moment, the tourism, trade, investment, security, intelligence cooperation. And so I think it's important that Christians not only understand why are the Abraham Accords an answer to prayer, that's really not the focus of this one, but who are the Arab people and, and what is our Christian understanding of them from the Bible and what's our responsibility towards yes. them? You know, we spend so much time focusing on Israel and I'm glad for that, but they are our neighbors. Yes. And Jesus did tell us to love them. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the case. <laughs> um, you know, being uh, where you are in, in Jerusalem and, and in Israel, 
you know, the history of the relationship, obviously, with Israel and the Arab peoples in the Middle East are, is very complex. And it's impossible for a, a small podcast like ours to kind of address that as a big picture. But give everybody just sort of a, a, a snapshot history of the Arab people in the Middle East and, and how their narrative fits within scripture and within uh, the kind of prophetic uh, narratives as well. Sure. Well, you have to understand that the Arab people are, of course, people who live in Arabia. That's where the term come from, just as Jewish people come originally from the land of Judea. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, that's ironic because most of Judea geographically is now what's called the West Bank by most people in the world. And thus, it's mostly the Palestinian Authority or, or a large swath of it is. So most Americans or most people in general around the world don't even connect Jews with Judea. Mm-hmm. But I think we can generally say that we understand that Arabs come from Arabia and they speak Arabic. Biblically, you actually have to go back before any any particular tribe was called Arab, uh, right? Because it's a tribal culture. It's a tribal region. But where do these tribes come from? It predates the term Arabia or Arab, and it comes from Ishmael. So you had Ishmael being the firstborn son of Abraham because he didn't think that he could have children with his barren and quite elderly wife, Sarah. And they they were promised a son, but they uh, thought, Sarah thought, it can't literally mean that I'm going to have a son because that's crazy. I'm 90. So, or she was a little, a little bit younger than I think at the time. But anyway, the point is, she's like, so it must mean that you're supposed to sleep with my handmaiden and have a son with her. And culturally, that wasn't crazy. To us, that sounds a little bit like the wife saying, why don't you just sleep with the maid or the housekeeper or, you know, whatever, and that'll be good. Now, like, no, that's not good. And it wasn't good. But biblically, Abraham and Sarah were wrong. But this did produce a son. And God did not curse that son. Hmm. It's incredibly important to stress because eventually, of course, they have the, the chosen son, the truly miraculous son from both of them. I mean, he was eventually 100 and she was 90. So at that point, the Bible literally says Abraham was as good as dead. I think we can say, <laughs> or in terms of having children, yeah, I think when you get to 100, you're probably as good as dead, at least when it comes to production. So Isaac, of course, is the, the son that whom God has chosen to have a specific blessing and a specific set of responsibilities, mm-hmm. Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob, and so forth. We know that story. What we're less familiar with as evangelicals is the story of, of, of Ishmael and his yes. mother, Hagar, who was Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Almost certainly, I mean, she was a slave, and almost certainly she was purchased by Abraham and Sarah when they were in Egypt. Right. And they, they lived there for a while because there'd been a famine and slavery, unfortunately, was common back then. So they have this child. And so in uh, Genesis 15 and then 16, even more, we get into the story. But I just want to make it clear and then you can pull on the thread if you want to go deeper. Yeah. But it's important for all of our listeners and viewers to understand God did not curse Ishmael because he wasn't the son whom God had specifically promised. Right. Abram and Sarah had sinned. They had made a a gross error in judgment and in faith. It was a real lack of faith. They thought they would just take God's word to them, promise to them, and just figure out how to do it themselves. Sure. That was a mistake. It wasn't Ishmael's fault, and it wasn't Hagar's fault. Right. Right. 
And so we can look at the text if you want, but the but specifically God says, this is not the son whom I've chosen, but I am going to bless him. He's right. going to have trouble with his brothers. There's going to be tension there, right. but I'm going to bless this young man and I'm going to make him the father of many tribes. And the Arab people emerge from these descendants of Ishmael. So let me take uh, listeners back as well to a conversation, several conversations we had in the Middle East uh, on the delegation, where we reiterated that all three of the major religions in this region, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, all point back to Abraham and this incident as a root for each one of them. So for our listeners to remember that the Arabs and uh, this entire trajectory of relationship between Jews and Arabs and Christians in the Middle East really starts at the incident that you're talking about here, uh, that uh, you know Hagar and uh, Sarah and their children from Abraham lead this great tree uh, forward. So that's fundamental to understanding how the people in this region, the Arab people in particular, see themselves related to these kinds of things, isn't it? That's true. And and it's important to note at that intersection that Jews and Christians, those who believe in the Bible as Jews and Christians, have the exact same view of who Abraham, Sarah, Isaac were, and the promise being passed along through Isaac and then mm-hmm. to Jacob, the Jacob's sons. Jews and Christians see it exactly alike because we're reading from the same text. We're reading from Genesis. Okay, right. But Muslims take a very different view. The prophet Muhammad the man who's revered as the prophet inside Islam, he said, no, 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 Isaac was not the chosen son. Ishmael was the chosen son. And therefore the promises of God flow through Ishmael. All this covenant relationship flow through Ishmael and thus to the Arabic speaking people who live on Arabia. And then of course spread out, right? Like the Egyptians technically aren't Arabs, right? Right. But they speak Arabic. So now they, it depends on which Egyptian you're talking to. Some people say, think of themselves as Arabs. No, 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 we're Egyptians. We speak yes. Arabic, but we're <laughs> Egyptian. Okay. Right. So a lot of other tribes became known as Arabs because of the language. Mm-hmm. But that's because of the conquering of the region, Middle East and North Africa, by Muhammad and his disciples, and him telling them, the blessings come through you. Again, to be clear, he wasn't entirely wrong, but he was fundamentally wrong. Right. There were blessings that came from God in Genesis to the people of Ishmael. And this has become a problem historically for people who think God only loves Israel and the Jewish people, that we got the blessings and they got curses. Well, God did say prophetically there's going to be a lot of tension between these two brothers and their descendants. And, you know, I think God was right on that. I think we could say that's uh, true. Yes. The whole career on based on that, that, that tension. <laughs> And God did bless, in many significant ways, Ishmael and his descendants. But but there are significant differences between the Islamic view from the Quran and from the Bible. Well, you know, it is fascinating, and it's so helpful to see that this is not a uh, one side is blessed, the other side is not. Uh, And that the misunderstanding of this from the blessing side going through Ishmael uh, versus Isaac is one of the great pivot points of all of our history in the world. And um, I'm fascinated to see that Scripture doesn't back away from uh, a very complex thing. Um, So, Joel, maybe you can help us also understand, again, scripturally, 
where do Arabs see themselves in this narrative? And, and how do they really see their fulfillment of, of God's plan in the world? Right. Well, great. Uh, well, let's start with some scriptures then. Uh, in Genesis chapter 17, we have this sort of this setup now. Ishmael is born. Isaac is going to be born. He's being promised. And we read in Genesis 17, God says um, that about Sarah, I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Right? It's explicit. I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be the, a mother of nations. Kings and peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? Uh, and will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham loved Ishmael. And he really did believe that this was the child of promise because he just could not believe, right? This is, a, this is Abraham. This is the father of, of the whole thing. But he couldn't get his head around the fact that God was saying he was going to do something supernatural. Abraham couldn't see it. So he's like, let Ishmael stand before you and, you know, Lord, you're wrong. It's almost like a conversation between Moses and God. Listen, I'm not doing it. You can't make me do it. I'm not up for it. You can't send me to, to Egypt to be your prophet. And, and, and Abraham's like, look, you know, I'm not going to have a son through Sarah. So please use Ishmael. And God said, but God said, no, okay, that should be enough. But he goes on, <laughs> but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him hmm. for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, this is the key then transition point. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Of course, Ishmael itself means the God who hears mm. uh, because Hagar named him because God heard her cry um, when she felt so rejected and sad. It's a longer story. But for Ishmael, I have heard you, God says. Behold, I will bless him mm. and I will make him fruitful and I will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And, and so that's the scriptural basis. It's always good when we, we talk about the scriptures to then actually read the scriptures, right? Because that's, that's there very you true. <laughs> see the intersection, and there you see the, the seeds being planted of the tension. I will just add one more thing. It's in the chapter before, in 16, when God prophesies, you're going to have a, a son named Ishmael. And the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He's talking to Hagar, the, the, the mom. He will be a wild donkey of hmm. a man, hmm. meaning he's going to be a bit rebellious. Hmm. He's going to have some issues. And, you know, on his maybe in the, in the kindergarten report, maybe he doesn't play well with other kids in the sandbox. Like, <laughs> he's going to have some challenges because he's going to be um, a bit uh, stubborn, right? We think of donkeys as stubborn. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, God is not, he's not being mean. He's just describing a character trait that will become part of Ishmael. His hand will be against everyone. Mm. And he will live to the east of his brothers. Mm. And then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And she said, you are a God who sees and goes on to. Uh, wow. I mean, it continues this, a God who hears and a God who sees. Yeah. And so I just say that because it's true. The Arabs live to the east of Israel mm -hmm. and the Arabs have had some issues. They're not the only people in the world that have had issues. But I'm just saying, you know, if you match this against the scriptures, you know, there has been some stubbornness. But God has blessed them. They're the ones with the oil. 
Yeah. <laughs> They're the ones with the bazillion dollar, you know, yes. massive income in their countries where Israel, has, yeah, it's okay. Israel's discovered natural gas in recent years, and that's good. But many people in the Arab world, at least the Gulf Arab world, they don't even pay taxes. They don't have to work if they don't want to because yes. they get money from the government from all this, these natural resources, oil and natural well, gas. Well, you brought up something, and, and uh, we have to take a break here now. But I, I want to come back and talk about, you know, uh, in addition to the scriptural history of the Arab people, we have a current history. We kind of have a, a place where we are now. And that was right. tremendously informative to go on that delegation trip for that purpose. But then we also want, before we close this podcast, uh, we want to talk about where this may be all going and where this lines up with prophecy as we go forward. But stay tuned. We'll be back in a second. The verse for today is Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And our prayer requests today for this episode are to pray for the Arab people in the region, for peace to open up new opportunities for both Israel and her neighbors. And second, to pray for believers living in the Arab countries, that they would have the freedom to follow Christ without persecution. And third, pray for God to bring many in the Arab world into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, Joel, we're back, and I know we've we've looked into Scripture and we've seen you know where God has has uniquely and divinely placed uh, the Arab people in the Middle East, and especially in relationship to Israel and the Jewish people. But you know we have a current history, and and there's certain geopolitical realities that are that are present in the Middle East right now. And maybe connecting these two dots, maybe we could talk a little bit about where Israel and the Arab peoples are historically. In, in our understanding and where they are now, maybe even past uh, since the Abraham Accords. Sure. Well, we should make one major note. Uh, the, the word Arabs, uh, the word Arab is, is used a number of times in the Bible, but one specific time is that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, there were Arabs who were there worshiping the God of Israel in the temple, in the city, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, we see in Acts chapter two, uh, it's giving a list of all, where all these people are from. And it talks about there were both Jews and proselytes, uh, meaning people who had converted to Judaism, to who, had, who, who were not born Jewish, but they came to believe in the God of Israel. And in doing so, some of them, it says, were Cretans and some were Arabs. So it's interesting that ethnically they were Arab and linguistically they spoke Arabic. But they had, they had had a desire to know the God of Israel, and then they just happened to be there on the day when the church was born. Lord Jesus had already died. He'd, he'd risen again. He said his Holy Spirit would be poured out, and boom, <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, uh, just uh, you know, 50 days after, after the crucifixion, uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the city of Jerusalem. And we know that 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus that day, and Arabs were among them. Specifically says Arabs, yeah. That's pretty cool. And it shows early on that God had this heart to bless the children of Ishmael. Let's go back to the central verse of 
the Joshua Fund, which is mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, but it talks about God's blessing on Abraham and his descendants. Now, we know that the line of that goes through Isaac, but we just read about the blessings to Ishmael, and God also promises that through the family of Abraham, all the families of the earth that's right. will be blessed. Everyone will have an opportunity to hear and know the Lord. So I think that's a that brings us up at least to 2,000 years ago in the beginning of the church and that Arabs were there at the beginning. That's mm-hmm. encouraging. And when we think about Jewish-Arab-Christian reconciliation through Christ, that's a key thing to know. When we get up more recently, of course, the Arab people, by and large and overwhelmingly, do not believe in the biblical prophecies of the Old Testament or the New Testament, that God has given this land of the Holy Land to the Jewish people in in a covenant relationship. And that even though Jewish people have been stubborn and and resistant at at times in history, including uh, arguably today, right? It's not even arguable. It's true. (laughs) Resisting the Lord in many ways, uh, but still God has this unconditional love and he's made a promise. He made it to Abraham and he's going to keep it. It's an unconditional promise. Uh, meaning it, it wasn't if Abraham, if you do this, I'll, then God says, I'll do that. He just, God just says, I'm going to do this for you, Abraham. And then he repeats it. Isaac, I'm going to do this for you. And then to Jacob, I'm going to do this for you. And then the children of Jacob, I'm going to do this for you. And he's doing it. Hmm. But Arab people live here. They lived here before 1948. They live here today. And many of them were, have been deeply hurt, pained, saddened, angered, infuriated, enraged by this idea that Jews are coming back to settle this land and this whole notion of the prophetic rebirth of the of the nation, the sovereign nation state of Israel just seems insane to many of them. And many have lost their homes and lost their lives in these wars. Okay? Mm-hmm. We have had multiple Arab-Israeli wars in, to the point where for many Christians in the West, but I think worldwide as well, they have heard the word Arab and they immediately think that's a group of people that, are, that hate Jews and are trying to crush and snuff out the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, right? Famously, the, the, the leader of the Arab world when I was born in 1967 was the Egyptian president, Gamal Abdel Nasser, right? He famously said, we're going to throw the Jews into the sea, meaning we're going to invade, we're going to take over Israel, and any Jew that we haven't killed, we're going to drown them. Mm. That's genocidal language. Yeah. And this was the leader of the Arab world, building an alliance against Israel in 1967. Now, Hmm. it didn't happen. Just the opposite happened. Uh, Israel won that war in six days and almost quadrupled their land and reunified Jerusalem and retook the Temple Mount, you know, and then rested on the seventh day. That was not what the Arab nations or peoples or leaders thought was going to happen. So that's created even more animosity and embitterment. There was another war in 1973 where the head of Egypt at that time, Anwar Sadat, invaded on our highest holy day here, mm. uh, Yom Kippur. So, so we've got this huge, long, bloody, traumatic history comes right out of prophecy that the children of Isaac and the children of Ishmael are going to be like this at each other. But we began to see with the Egyptian-Israeli peace accord, the Camp David Accords Mm -hmm. in 1978, and then the full treaty signed in 1979, the beginning of a huge thaw. Now, it took till 1994 till the Jordanians, and by the way, I'm drinking from a a Starbucks mug from Jordan, so that's my nod to the other side of the Holy Land. Um, (laughs) The Jordanians made peace with Israel in 1994. So we went from 1979 
to 94. That was a while. But then we didn't see any Arab-Israeli peace treaties until 2020. And then we got four. United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, the two countries we visited, and then, of course, Morocco and Sudan. And by the way, a fifth Muslim-majority country, though it's not ethnically Arab, Kosovo. Uh, the deputy prime minister of Kosovo was just here a couple of days ago in, in, in her first visit. So we're seeing a lot of movement. Now, where does that fit prophetically? Well, there are specific verses that say in the last days after Israel is reborn and there's all this tension, then the Arabs are going to make peace with Israel. It doesn't right. say it quite as explicitly. However, and I'll make it brief and then you take but, me. No, that's fine. I'm left. Uh, <laughs> but it, the Bible does, of course, say that Israel will be reborn in the last days. That's Ezekiel mm-hmm. 36, 37, uh, and, and, and numerous other passages in Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and so forth. So we've seen those prophecies get set into motion. And we've seen the wars and rumors of wars that Jesus spoke of that would define much of the last days before he returns, right? Kingdom will rise against kingdom. Nation will rise against nation. Well, that's been the story of the Middle East for the last hundred years, war mm. after war after war after war between Arabs and Jews. So we've, we've seen the rebirth of Israel, check. Jews coming back to the land, check. Rebuilding the ancient ruins, check. Uh, making the deserts bloom, check. The war and conflict between Jews and Arabs, um, just as Jesus told us, check. But this is a passage that very few people focus on, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Yeah. Now, faithful listeners and viewers of this podcast know, well, didn't you talk about that a few podcasts ago, about this prophetic war in which Russia and Iran were going to get involved? Yes, we did. Well, let me now emphasize one of the things that we said, but you might have easily not clued in or keyed into it. It's significant. One of the prerequisites for the war of Gog and Magog to occur is Israel has to be reborn. Jews have to be back in the land. The ancient ruins have to be be in the process of being rebuilt. They're making the deserts bloom. Mm -hmm. And then it says, but at this point, just as the, the next big prophetic eschatological war is about to start, what does the text say? It Mm. says that Israel is living securely in the land. Now, you could argue, well, that just means it has a very strong military. Well, Israel certainly does, so check. But I think what we can say is, oh, look, the Lord meant there's going to be a whole series of peace treaties and normalizations that will make Israelis feel more secure than ever, even... And I'm, now I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but I'm just going to say this. Saudi Arabia is the epicenter of the Arab world. Sure. Right? Egypt sure. was, and Egypt's the largest country in the Arab world, 100 million people. But Saudi Arabia is the economic power, and it's the, it's the home of Mecca and Medina. So it is the epicenter in the 21st century of the Arab world. Well, the name for the region we now know as Saudi Arabia, there were two names biblically, Sheba. Mm-hmm. And Didan. Those two names are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. And it mm. said, and they are not listed with the coalition countries that will join Russia and Iran against right. Israel. Right. No, no. Sheba and Didan are looking at the attack that's getting ready to come. And they're saying, why? What are you doing this for? What? They're talking to the Russian Iranian leaders and saying, are you trying to take Israel's wealth? Are you trying to plunder Israel, why are you doing this? What are you doing? I have written for the last 15 years and spoken about it, and a lot of people thought I was crazy, so okay, (laughs) I'll just tip my hand. But 
I've said I believe that we're going to see a series of peace treaties between Israel and the Arab world. When I wrote my book Epicenter in 2006, right. there's a whole chapter that says, here's a headline you will read. Israel and the Arab world start making peace treaties. And now we're seeing it. And I believe that Saudi Arabia may very well be, I don't know about the next one, maybe, but one of the countries, or at least if not an actual formal treaty, they will not be thinking that we want to join the enemies of Israel like they would have 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. But they'll be part of this neutral or positive camp going, wait, Russia, Iran, why are you doing this? Right. So th- I know that's a that's not a soundbite answer, mm. but the but- Bible makes it clear that not only will Israel be reborn and have conflicts in the last days before Christ comes back, but before the war of Gog and Magog happens, the Arab world and Israel will start to have peace and security and normalization. And we are watching that happen, Carl. You and I got to see it up close, in personal, with the very architects, the Arab architects of this prophetic change. We heard both the Israeli and Arab architects of the Abraham Accords uh, go into the exact conversation you said about peace and security and safety for all of those countries as a result. And, you know, Joel, you, you, you make an incredible connection. And it's it's so important to to remember that three things are operating here. We have biblical history. We have current events and current recent, relatively recent history. And we have what I call future history, which is the prophetic history that's also in scripture. And I'm always amazed at your ability to uh, draw the through line between all three of those things. And for many of us, we, we stop dead in our, in our tracks when it comes to current events. And we throw up our hands and say, well, we don't know what the future holds. But in fact, Scripture doesn't treat it that way, does it? I mean, it's, it's actually gone into quite some detail about the very nations that you mentioned and, and those kinds of things. So I, I will say that I understand that a lot of Christians are busy with their own lives and, and the oh, ministry. Sure. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. It's certainly understandable that people haven't done exhaustive study but it's exciting and yeah. prophecies much less middle eastern history much less current events i mean each of those three things <laughs> are enormously complicated That's and true. and therefore trying to do all three and synthesize them is, is challenging. It's why we're doing this. Well, that's why I love you, Joel. That you, 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 what I like to say, one of my old seminary professors used to say, you put the cookies on the bottom shelf. You know, we all can get to this through this, this very clear exposition. But, you know, I would love to know more about, you know, this, this understanding of the Arab people in God's plan. Um, I mean, even today, we see, we see Arabs in Israel. There's a, there's a very large population of Arabic-speaking uh, people and, and Arabs in Israel that live in peace yeah. and, and security. 20% of the Israeli society, almost 22%, is Arab. And most of those are Muslims, but there are many Christians within that uh, community, too. There's about 120,000 Christians in Israel. Most of those are Arabs, Arab Christians, although obviously there are Jewish believers in Jesus as well. But yeah, in fact, we just had an Arab Muslim appointed to the Supreme Court in Israel wow. just this week. We reported it on all Israel news. Like, you know, people call us, we're, you know, oh, you're a horrible country, Israel. You're an apartheid country. Well, if we're <laughs> an apartheid country, how did an Arab Muslim yeah. not only get citizenship, okay, but get appointed to our Supreme Court to govern all Jews, Muslims, and Christians. Like, that's not normal. You don't see Supreme Court justices who are Jewish or followers of Jesus in Saudi Arabia or in 
you know, Arab countries. So this is a big deal. But we're also seeing God's spirit move. We're seeing Arabs uh, who are from a Muslim background and Muslim upbringing. We're seeing them listen to the gospel through satellite television, radio, the Internet and, and, and personal gospel discussions. We're also seeing more Arab Muslims coming to faith in Jesus than in any other time in the last 14 centuries. That's right. And not only Arab, I mean, you know, the Persians like Iran, that's a whole separate ethnicity and language group, but they're coming to faith in Jesus arguably faster than the Arabs. So God is moving in the very people that most Israelis see as their enemies and who most Christians, honestly, at least in the West, have thought of as enemies. And, yeah. you know, I mean, they, they have been enemies in certain at certain times. Obviously, we, we've gone to a lot of war in the Middle East, in the United States, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of trauma uh, because of that. But we have to look at this region from God's vantage point. Right? Yeah. I often say, and I first said it in that book, Epicenter, 15, 17 years ago, if you only look at the world or the Middle East through geopolitical lenses and or economic lenses, you're not going to see in three dimensions. Yeah. You have to also it's not that you don't look at, at uh, the region through geopolitical and economic lenses, but you also need to look at the region through what I call the third lens, through the Bible. Yeah. Because when you put all those lenses together, it's like being at the eye doctor and they're like, does that, is that good or worse? I know that's worse. What if I do this? What if I do this? You add those three lenses. It doesn't mean you're going to always see perfectly clear into the future or the present, but it means you're going to see clearer because you're looking through the eyes of God. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, it's exciting to put on that lens and to look at the way God sees the Arab people, not the way we see them either uh, socially or or geopolitically, but to look at the way God has has, um, uh, kind of given promises to the Arab people and given us the opportunity to interact with them and to, to do that. Um, I have to. I just have to say it. You had the yeah. greatest line during our time. I won't say the country right now, but we were in a particular country, and we were there during Ramadan. So when when the sun goes down and and the fasting ends for the day for Muslims, they have what's called an iftar feast. They're breaking the fast and they're having uh, they're having a meal with their family and their friends. Now, we got invited to a very senior Arab Muslim leaders residence, and he put on. An event, a dinner that was so dramatic, so special, more than more special than any of the seven, you know, delegations I've ever led. And you described it as the Arab version of Downton Abbey <laughs> with Downton Abbey's movie uh, releasing. I don't know. I'm probably already out by the time this runs. Uh, you know, it, for people who, who, who are familiar with it, we had footmen uh, behind each one of us. And if you took a sip of orange juice, you didn't get to get to the bottom unless you like chugged it. You're like yeah. they were already serving <laughs> it and, and refilling things. And I just say that because here is an Arab Muslim at, at one of the highest holy days of his year, Ramadan, inviting followers of Jesus Christ to come and, and not just break bread, to have a Downton Abbey-esque sumptuous meal. And the first thing he said was, I'd like to open us in prayer. And then Joel, would you pray? Like that's not normal historically. No. But God is creating these friendships. And we spent two hours with that very senior ranking uh, Arab Muslim leader, getting to hear his heart, asking him all kinds of questions and him asking us questions. And I just think that is, 
it's not always going to happen. I'm not saying that everybody on this podcast is going to get to have a Downton Abbey experience in the Muslim world, but this is a little taste of what heaven's going to be like, where where people, okay, in heaven, everyone will believe in Jesus. I get that. But I'm just saying we will not be at war with each other. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I didn't say it artfully. What mm-hmm. I mean is we don't have to, as Jews, as Israelis, as Christians, be at war with Arab Muslims. There are mm-hmm. people who are people of goodwill. They don't see Jesus in the Bible the way we do. That's, That's right. a conversation we need to keep having. But but they want peace. And I think you got to see what almost no other American or almost any other evangelical would get to see, which is this real? Are they kidding? Are they just trying to uh, lure us into a false sense of peace? Or is it legit? Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that assessment. I, I, I feel like it's really important to remember that you know, we're going to talk in a future podcast about how Muslims and, and Arab peoples uh, see Jesus and what response we can have for them about their view of Jesus and of Christianity as well. But one of the things that I experienced with you in on that trip that I've I've never quite experienced before at that level is is, is you know Arab culture is a shame and honor culture. The important thing is to honor those people that you care about. And I don't know about you, Joel, but I felt that honor so deeply, so profoundly, and so authentically uh, in our experience there that uh, it, it really made me rethink some of our knee-jerk reactions to, to things and, and to our judgments about Arab people in the Middle East. I don't know if you want to comment on that or just you know accept that. Yeah. that. That was my observation that yeah. we were honored in so many ways, and they, they certainly appreciated deeply our love for Jesus and our, our belief system. So uh, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely felt honored. They did honor us. And they did so because they felt honored that we would come. Hmm. Remember why they're asking. They're not asking us to come and preach the gospel to them or, you know, s- sign a, a, a Bible translation contract or, you know, whatever. They feel that Christians generally, Americans in particular, have a fundamental misunderstanding of who they are mm-hmm. in Bahrain, in the United Arab Emirates, and of course other Arab countries too. But but these two countries are like, we have got to work on explaining who we are. And we have made some serious mistakes in the past, but we are making huge reforms. We're making changes. And we want to invite people to come and get to know us and hear our story, ask us a bazillion questions, and then go back and Tell other people, listen, it's not as though Arab terrorism isn't an issue or radical Islam is not an issue. It it is. We've talked about that on this podcast. I'll never stop talking about it because it's real and it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. But that's not the sum total of the Arab world. And there are such tectonic shifts going on in Arab culture where Arabs are starting to consider it a badge of honor to sit with a Jewish person, to sit with an Israeli, to sit with a evangelical follower of Jesus and say, listen, we don't agree on everything, but we want there to be peace and we want to work together and we want trade and tourism and foreign directed investment and security cooperation. Like we are happy to talk about our differences, but we want to be friends and we want to be allies. That's important. That's important. And I think most Christians don't see it, but that's understandable. That's our job to be a bridge. We got to see things most people will never get to see, Mm. but through this podcast, uh, through all Israel news, all Arab news, through enemies and allies, we can help tell the story 
to our brothers and sisters. Why? Because we're being watchmen on the walls. Mm-hmm. If you see a threat coming, we need to warn. But the Bible also says, Paul says it specifically in Romans, give honor where honor is due. Yeah. If something good is happening, you should right. celebrate it. Don't call right. evil good and good evil. Like, don't just say, well, these people are all terrorists and they were before and now. That's not really fair and it's not true and it's not helpful. Wow. Uh, and it's not biblical. Well, Joel, I, I got to tell you, we're going to do a, a future episode on on the real hope for the Arab people in the Middle East and the and the and the way in which you know we can be part of this this uh, this great story. What you've just described is is an incredible story that needs to be told uh, more and and wider. But um, maybe you could just talk about you know as we recognize the needs, there are needs in this part of the world that there are. Uh, you know, we still have the opportunity to love and support and minister to Arab people. What what can listeners do to practically support and love and minister to Arab people? Well, what I love about the Joshua Fund is that God had a plan for this ministry from the beginning, not to focus only on one side or the other. Right? We've talked about from that from the beginning, That's and, right. and and because it goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, and and God said, "Yeah, I have a plan for Abraham." But Abraham wasn't Jewish. Jewishness didn't come up until Jacob had a son named Judah, right? So just to be clear, uh, Abram was a Hebrew, and then there was Isaac, and then there's Jacob, and then there's the 12 tribes. So anyway, God does love Jewish people, and he does love the nation of Israel, and he chose the nation of Israel, and he has a plan for the nation of Israel. And for the last, you know, 18 months or so, we've we've been unpacking that plan, but we're also comparing it against real life, right? What's really happening? Um, and I love that. But but I think it, I have gotten a lot of pushback over the years for leaning into trying to build friendships, relationships with, with Arabs, specifically and with Muslims more generally. And I understand, you know, in, in a world after 9-11 and in the ISIS genocidal era and the rise of the Iranian Persian bomb, people are nervous or they get scared or they're angry. And there are reasons for that. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand both sides and we need to love both sides. And I think mm. that Joshua does a great job. And I would encourage people, you know, I don't usually, I'm not usually one that says this, but I would encourage people to financially give as well as to pray. Yeah. Uh, first of all, help us educate the church through this podcast and through other, you know, uh, events and things, uh, trips to Israel, trips to the region. We've never, we still haven't done yet. Uh, you know, the, the prayer and vision trip to the neighbor's right. side, but we want to. Yeah. And as, as things are getting more peaceful and secure, I think those are coming. So I just put those in a seed in people's minds. <laughs> but also I would encourage people to invest financially in the Joshua Fund because we are strengthening and encouraging pastors in the Arab world, in, mm-hmm. in Iraq, in Egypt, in Jordan, in Syria, in Lebanon, in the Palestinian authorities. We're strengthening pastors. We're doing humanitarian relief. We're mobilizing people to pray and a number of other things we probably shouldn't get into because some of them are sensitive. But the point is God loves Arabs and he is not content with a church that misunderstands who Arabs are theologically and thinks he's cursed them when the text is crystal clear that he has blessed them. Now, there are challenges, right? Okay, but... We have to work our way through those. And that, and that most Christians don't realize that there were Arab followers of the God of Israel at Pentecost, a part of the beginning of the church. And if we got, if we had time, we'd get into Revelation and see that there are people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will be in heaven. There will be people from all 
countries in the Arab and Muslim world who come to faith in Jesus. And I don't think right. every Arab and every Muslim is going to come to faith in Jesus. I hope so. But yep. they at least need to hear because many of them will come to faith. So all those are the reasons uh, to be involved in the Joshua Fund. And if you say, yeah, but my heart is really Israel, then I would say, well, if you're praying for the peace of Israel, the peace of Jerusalem, you should pray that more Muslims come to faith in Jesus, because a Muslim who's come to faith in Jesus is going to be a friend of Israel, not an enemy. Amen. Well, Joel, thank you. This has been incredibly interesting and incredibly informative. And I would just like to say thank you on behalf of uh, the whole Joshua Fund for for that really clear both and view of blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. So, and to our listeners, I'd, I'd say if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, uh, you can visit our website, joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what we're doing in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors, including the Arab neighbors, in the name of Jesus, and how you can participate in this healing work we're doing in this critical region. On behalf of Joel Rosenberg and the the whole Joshua Fund team, thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.